Well, church family, we have finally arrived at Christmas Eve. The day that we have all the waited for is tomorrow, and it's been a special season of Advent at our church. We've been growing in anticipation to celebrate the coming of Christ, and tomorrow is that day. And also, we've been building in anticipation for the second coming of Christ. That is the point of Advent. And since we have one final day together, before the actual day of celebration, I wanted to take one more opportunity to help us further appreciate the gift of Christ's first coming in a way that builds even greater anticipation for his second. We've been walking as a church through the book of Malachi. And Malachi, this messenger of God, mentions something in chapter three of his book that really caught my attention. And it led me to rejoice in new ways about the coming of Christ. Let me read for you Malachi chapter three, verses 16 to 18. Here's what the word of God says. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between ones who serve God and ones who do not serve him. Now, some of you may hear those verses and say, Jared, I don't see any connection between what you've just read and Christmas. But let me show you the connection that the Lord brought to my mind as I read over this passage. Malachi says that God has a scroll of remembrance, a scroll of remembrance that is being written in his presence. And on that scroll, God is taking account of those who fear and honor his name. And as a consequence, there's also some sort of accounting for those who would mock his name and reject it, who are left off the scroll. So it seems like the Bible is telling us that God has a naughty and nice list. (laughs) Or at least uh, a nice list with everybody being left off of it considered to be naughty. And certainly that kind of naughty, nice list is at the front of our minds this Christmas season. And I'm sure some of you in this room are wondering which one you're going to end up on tomorrow morning. But God's list, the kind of list God is writing, is very different, significantly so, than the list we typically talk about this time of year. And I want to make sure we understand why God's list list is so gloriously different, because I think understanding the difference and how God assigns us to these lists helps us truly celebrate the coming of Christ At Christmas. Let me first just give a little bit of background as to how we arrived at the mention of this list that God is compiling in the book of Malachi. The people of God have been complaining. More than that, they've been making some shocking allegations against God. In particular, they have said that He is unjust, that He has not been fair and how he has dealt with his people and and their return from exile. Here's what they just said about God in Malachi 3, verses 14 to 15. It's vain to serve God. 
What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They're basically saying God has his list all wrong. The naughty, who in their mind are the pagan nations around them who worship false gods, they seem to be getting all the blessing. They're the ones who are getting the presence, the benefit, the riches, the peace. And we, your so-called people, God, who should be on the nice list, we're getting the lump of coal, the famine, the taxes, the hardship, the judgment. And it doesn't make any sense to them. How could the people of God be treated so unfairly by him, at least in their mind? Well, maybe you've been in a place like that before in your own life. Maybe you felt the same way when you feel like you should be on the nice list, but you're getting what the so-called naughty should get. And what's worse, those who you think should be on the naughty list are getting all the things you want. Maybe you have had a season when you join in the complaint of the people of God here in Malachi saying something like, it is vain to serve God. But the reality is that kind of complaint reveals a lack of understanding about the nature of God's list and really about the the nature of the promises of God that are attached to that kind of list. You see, that expectation of how God should make his list sounds more like the kind of list attributed to Santa Claus and the songs and stories that are written about him. Here's what they say about the the list that Santa Claus makes. If your good outweighs your bad, then you end up on the nice list and you get good things. If your bad outweighs your good, then you end up on the naughty list and you get bad things. But I want you to hear me this morning. The Bible does not teach a Santa Claus theology. The Bible doesn't teach what amounts to basically karma. The Bible declares the gospel And here's where the joy of Christmas really sets in, and it frees us. It frees us from the weight of trying to appease God with just our behavior alone. Our status on God's list has everything to do with what God has done, not with what we have done. And that's what makes the gospel good news. It's what makes God's list so different. You see, the the terminology that God uses to describe his list is not naughty or nice, but rather righteous or unrighteous. Those are the designations we see in verse 18. And these designations are important in the language of the Bible. The righteous are those who are said to belong to God and to serve him, who follow his law and seek His glory, while the unrighteous are those who reject God and pursue their own glory instead of His. But here's the bad news for all of us as sinful individuals, according to Scripture even one transgression, even one sin against God and His law, one act of disobedience immediately makes us unrighteous. It immediately puts us on the naughty list. Until an atonement is made. Until something is offered that can cover our sin and put us back into right relationship with God. So let's be clear here about what the Bible is teaching us. All of us are unrighteous. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
all of us deserve the naughty list to be left off of the list of righteous. We deserve to live under the curse of God. We deserve to get that lump of coal in our, sto- our stocking. But God did something amazing, friends, in order to save us, save us from the curse, and move us to the list of unrighteous, or of unrighteous to the list of righteous. He sent his son. There was nothing you and I could do to move from one list to the other, from unrighteous to righteous in our own strength. The depth of our naughtiness was too great, but Jesus was purely and wholly righteous. And he came in humility, leaving the glory of heaven, born of a virgin, to take on flesh and dwell among us, to reveal the glory of God and the redemptive promises of God. He perfectly obeyed the law. But even though he was the only truly righteous person to ever live, the only truly righteous person, he was crucified by those claiming to be righteous even though they were unrighteous to save us from our sins. But the grave could not hold Jesus. God had other plans. On the third day, our Savior rose from the grave, evidencing his power over sin and death, over those powers that sought to keep us on the bad list under the judgments of God. So that now, all who call upon the name of Jesus for salvation, all who repent and believe in him, who truly fear the Lord, who truly esteem his name, as we see here in our text, will be declared righteous and written in God's book of life on the list of the righteous, those who belong to God. And this is good news, friends. We should be thankful that God does not hand out the judgment we deserve so quickly because what we deserve is eternal punishment. And yet God withholds his ultimate judgment as an act of mercy to us and to all those who do not yet know the gift of Christmas, so that as many people as possible can turn to him in repentance. What the people of God declared to be unfair in Malachi's time was really an evidence of God's grace. And it's an evidence of God's grace that continues to this day. An evidence of God's grace, a joy that is amplified by the Christmas message. And the first coming of Christ Not only do we see a delay in God's righteous judgment on the nations, we also see the way that we are freed from that judgment. In Jesus, we can be declared righteous. In Jesus, we can truly fear the Lord and esteem his name. In Jesus, we can join the treasured possession of God. In Jesus, we can receive the greatest gift and blessing of all, eternal life and the presence of our creator and a new heaven and a new earth. In Jesus, the eternal blessings given to his people far outweigh any temporary successes we see around us. And that's why our hope, as those declared righteous by God in Christ, must always set our hope on the full story of Jesus, his first coming, of course, but also his second. So church, as we gather today, friends, as we gather today on this Christmas Eve, would you hear the good news of the gospel? God is making a list, but he doesn't have to check it twice 
because his will and his call are perfect. And all those who are in Christ are declared righteous. And those who are declared righteous and written on God's list will inherit the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. Isn't that an encouragement to you today? Isn't that so encouraging for us friends to think about? And that's what we want for you on this Christmas Eve, to leave encouraged, to go celebrate the greatest gift that could have ever been given in Jesus. Now, to make sure that we have a full appreciation of the encouragement that I think God is offering us from this text today, I just want to outline four specific encouragements that I want you to take with you today as we celebrate Christmas together. And here's the first. I want you to be encouraged by the first coming of Christ. I want you to be encouraged this morning by the first coming of Jesus because of Christ's first coming. We have the opportunity to join a new list. If we repent of our sin and believe in Jesus, the righteousness of Christ is applied to us as our sins are covered by his blood and we never have to worry about where we stand before God again. And this is a really important point, friends. Because there are still many today who operate under a so-called Santa Claus kind of theology and they don't really know where they stand before a holy and righteous God. They have no assurance. They hope their good behavior will be enough to find favor with him even when they stand before him. But that's not only a, a Santa Claus theology, it's kind of the theology of many religions around the world except Christianity. And this is what makes Christianity so unique and different. It's why we can celebrate today this gospel we have in Christ. We can have assurance before God. We can know it, that we are on the list of the righteous based on our response to the work of Christ. If you have repented and believed in Jesus, evidencing God-given faith, then you are on the list of the righteous. You are a child of God, and nothing will ever change that. And you should never stop being amazed by that. I was reading a, a poem earlier this week that one of my favorite pastors, John Piper, wrote. And he was writing it about some meditation that he had on a passage in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. In that passage, Jesus is, is communicating to the church, to his disciples, that they have authority over the spiritual realm. And they're amazed by the authority they have. But he says, you need to be amazed by something even greater. Listen to this. The 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's an amazing thing to think about that we have authority over these spiritual things, but it's an even more amazing thing, according to Jesus, for us to rejoice in the fact that our names are written in the book of life. So here's what John Piper wrote. How quickly does a lightning bolt fall from the blackened clouds and strike the forest fair? How powerful the fleeting volt that vanishes at once and leaves a cinder there. So quickly falls the ancient snake from his condemning height with all his cruel pangs when in your name and for your sake we, the church, wield your mighty word and break his deadly fangs. And as we leap to celebrate 
the triumph in our hands, the best of mountain peaks. Your voice, so calm and full of weight, cuts through our ecstasy, our festival, and speaks. Do not rejoice in this, dear ones, that Satan and his hordes are subject to your voice, but that in heaven, as treasured sons, your names are written down. In this, in this, rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, my friends, my prize. Your names are written there in blood with my own hand. Rejoice and sing, rejoice, arise, and leap for this. Before the world, your name was planned. Rejoice, your name is written there, secure, and by this lamb it is forever placed. And thus by my own blood I swear, your name will never be, no, never be erased." Praise be to God. Would you rejoice in the first coming of Christ and the assurance we have about where we stand before a holy and righteous God? Secondly, would you be encouraged that God sees all that is happening in our lives? Here's what our text communicates to us. God sees everything, everything. And that includes what happens in our lives. Nothing escapes him. And I know there may be times when we feel like what's happening in our life is unfair, like God's people did at this moment in history. But there's nothing in your life that is not father-filtered that he cannot use for his glory and your good. We just need to think about our circumstance in light of the full promises of God. Again, a quote from John Piper. My feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth, and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with the truth. God sees He knows, and he is driving all things toward his glorious ends. Be encouraged by that. Thirdly, be encouraged that God remembers all of our faithful actions. Another encouraging thing from this text. This text shows us that God not only sees, he remembers. And there's a record, not only of the righteous, but of the faithful actions of the righteous. And that's a wonderful thing to think about. God sees and remembers when you and I walk in faithfulness. I guess that also means he sees when we walk in unfaithfulness. But I want to focus this morning and rejoice in the fact that he sees our faithfulness. Here's how one pastor wrote about this being encouragement to us. Every time a follower of Jesus respects their body and rejects intimacy before marriage, God sees and honors that decision. Every time a believer refuses to engage in a moral talk or look at immoral images, God recognizes that. Every time you avert gossip, every time you bear the burden of an injustice and refuse to lash out, God sees that. Every time a family opens their home to be a Christian witness to the world, God sees that. Every time you share the gospel with a lost family member or friend, God sees that, whether or not anyone else does. Isn't that encouraging to know that God is watching and sees and delights in our faithfulness? And finally, would you be encouraged by the return of Christ? Again, this Advent season is meant to cause us to think about both comings of Christ. We celebrate the first as we long for the second because that is the day when everything will be set right. 
And church family, let's encourage each other as the faithful did in this time when they turn to one another and pay attention to the Lord. Let's turn to one another even on this day and remind us of the greater work that God has prepared for us that will be fully realized in Christ. So as we prepare to light this sanctuary today even more with candles Let's consider what the scripture has illuminated for us today about the work of Jesus. Let's truly celebrate the gift of his first coming as we set our hope on his return. Because if we are in Christ, we are more than nice. We are righteous. Praise be to God. Amen. Let me just say this this morning. I know this is kind of an, an unusual day, a different kind of day for us, but if, if you feel the Lord respond, leading you to respond in any kind of way this morning, if you feel the Lord leading you to have a conversation with a pastor or someone from our church about following Jesus, we would love to meet you after the service today. So please feel free to come and talk with us. We would love to encourage you if the Lord is leading you to give your life to Jesus and repentance and belief. Let me pray for us as we think about transitioning now to our time of candle lighting. Father, it is good to be with your people and consider your word. Thank you for the promise of Malachi 3 that you have a list of the righteous. And if we are in Christ, we are on that list. In fact, that's the only way we can be on that list. And thank you that even as you are noting those who are righteous by your decree and God-given faith, Father that you're also paying attention to what happens in our life. You see, you're taking notes, you're offering rewards that we will return to you one day. These are all wonderful things to be encouraged by, by the way that you move and deal in our lives. And Father, may we also have a longing for your return, the return of Christ, when every promise that you have given to us as your people will be fully realized. And we hope and rejoice in that day and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.